0: We're, we're really facing a lot of challenges around faculty burnout, faculty leaving, uh, and, and just plain exhaustion.
1: Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski, your host from Johns Hopkins. Today is one of our reunion episodes with my friend and colleague, Mandy Termuelan from
0: Minnesota. Mandy, hi again. Hello. Thank you for inviting me back.
1: Well, of course, I was looking back in my notes and Mandy and I talked back in April of 2019. So we're over two and a half years ago. Dr. Termuelan was episode number 20. So if you're going to go to the facultyfactory.org website, you have to go back to number 20 and check out. These, these episodes are timeless. And Mandy talked a lot about her office, how the office was set up. She talked about her the dean's task force, that how she first got in faculty affairs and uh, gender equity. And she did the ELAM program, talked about the future history of your career, all kind of really cool things and what keeps you up at night, professionalism, disruptive behavior, gender equity, so many interesting things. they are two-minute tips for chairs. But when I asked Mandy, was, I'm happy to come back and share some more wisdom on what's been going on in Minnesota. So Mandy, why don't you please start by telling everybody
0: your title and your role at Minnesota, and let's just launch into it. Thank you, Kim. So I am the Associate Dean for Faculty Affairs at the University of Minnesota Medical School, and I am a professor in the Department of Pediatrics. And it's been quite a two two plus years since we last talked. No so, kidding. Yeah. So hearing you talk about all those things, I you know, we talked about back then. I was in the job less than a year when we did that podcast, and everything was exciting and new, and you know, tons of stuff going on. And then, of course, March of twenty twenty hit. And then May of 2020 hit, which in Minneapolis was a very profound time for our faculty, staff, and our students uh, with the murder of George Floyd. So it's been quite a year in Minnesota. We would call this an interesting year or two. And yeah, I'd love to just tell you what's been going on. Oh, please do. I mean, this is so...
1: This, again, speaks to the fact that these issues um, are timeless. So what I love about these conversations, what I love about the community that you are all building, that we are all together in this, is that these aren't things that um, just happen in a city or an institution, and we go, oh, that's interesting, that's an anomaly, that we can all relate to these things, that we are all uh, woven together in, in both the global pandemic and this, you know, horrific murder. So, yeah, let's just get into it. I, I'm. I know the listeners want to hear the impacts of this at the leadership level. You know, someone like you at what you're observing with the faculty level, and then, a, obviously, some words of incur- encouragement, wisdom, inspiration for people to go. All right, what are you doing in Minnesota? You know, how 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 are you seeing that we're going to get through this?
0: Yes. So I will say, I'll say out front, I am still incredibly optimistic and excited and thrilled to be doing this work because I think as a faculty affairs administrator and person, I think we can have profound impact on our institutions, on the institutional leadership on and our faculty members. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So when the pandemic hit in March of 20, I still, I still have the date of the first patient embedded in my brain, you know, March 6th. And we went through the acute situation as did every other medical school and health system in the country. How do we manage this? What do we do? What do our staff do? What are the, what are the risks? How do we handle, how do we help our frontline workers? And I think, Back then, uh, our dean, Dean Toler, did something which I think profoundly helped us at at the University of Minnesota, and that was he decided that we were going to go independent of of supply chain. So we made reagents. We did our PCR testing. I clearly remember the day the head of our lab, um, Dr. Sophia Yogi, said, okay, we ran 17 samples last night we ran 42 samples last night and then now of course and within months we were doing tens and tens of thousands of samples so we really built it from scratch masks low-cost ventilators which fortunately we did not have to use uh, but were became available for other countries and protective gear and so I think that made us they gave us hope that yeah you know these are things that we can tap into our expertise and our innovation, and we can actually make a difference for not only the patients that we were caring for in Minnesota, but also for patients um, elsewhere throughout the country and the world. So that that was a good, I think, foundational start to the pandemic. Now, now a question
1: just before we launch into this, because I'm just kind of curious, do you know how Dean Toller came to this decision about going independent of the supply chain? Did he anticipate or know that this is going to be a tough road to hoe and we're going to be um, we're going to be on our own. So let's just do this right now. I mean, how was he so quick to say, all right, everybody, (laughs) we're turning into the Keebler Elves shop. We're doing
0: it all our own. I think it was, it was the feedback he was getting through, you know, our department of pathology, lab medicine, that we were, that reagents were in short supply, that we were having trouble getting swabs that, you know, things were, Things just weren't um, where you would expect they would be. And so instead of being at the mercy of others, took the step that, you know what, we're going to, we're going to figure out how to do this. And just funny, funny story, not funny, but funny. Um, we're the home of the National Maradona Program, right? They have swabs. Um, we we use swabs from them when swabs ran out. I mean, it was, it was just like this, we're going to get this done one way or the other to take care of our patients. So it was, it was great insight. It was great perception. And I think it really helped. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So from a faculty standpoint, of course, uh, labs are shut down. Teaching is totally flipped to remote and very early on, there was concern about, well, how, how, what, what is going to happen to faculty careers and all this. And we very early, very early in this process, working with the, all the associate deans across the university and the provost office, decided to do an automatic one-year tenure clock extension. No matter, people didn't have to take the time to apply. People didn't have to review it. People didn't have to take it if they don't want to, but they got one extra year on their tenure clock. And that was, I think, a statement to say, we get it. This is probably going to be long and we're going to do what we can, and we did get pushback on, well, this is not this is going to impact women or those underrepresented in medicine because if they were due to get promoted, they get this extra time. They're going to take on you know a long-term salary cut and all this. But it really the benefit of getting everyone that one year that they could use it, they needed it greatly outweighed. I think the criticism of doing that. So we did that. Our department of psychiatry developed a, a pandemic. We called it a pandemic plus years 2020. 2021, um, self-assessment tool. How did your workload change? Quantify it. What, what, what is your teaching effort? If it was 40% pre-pandemic and you had to redo everything for online, what is it now? Um, there were sections in all missions that people could just use themselves to remember and to really think through all the impacts. And then we had one for your personal impact, illness, children being educated at home, um, taking care of, um, elderly relatives, you know, so people at least felt like they had something they could sit and document the impact that this had on them. And then they could use that if they chose to go into a COVID impact statement when they did their annual reviews or their promotion to tenure dossiers, or they didn't have to, you know, it really was up to the faculty to decide if they wanted to use this or not. The provost really encouraged people to do that. Um, but I will say, in you know the two cycles of promotion I've had since then, most people have not done that. They've they've indicated they've had impact, but they haven't really had to go into a lot of detail about it. We revise our annual review forms. We, you know, our forms are very much what were your goals last year? Did you meet your goals? Uh, if you didn't, then you know the the supervising department chair or division chief would write, here's what, you, you know, here's what we want you to do for next year. And we said, no, here were your goals from last year. Did you meet your goals? Yes or no? If no, was it due to the pandemic or the, the, the social unrest that we experienced in Minneapolis during that year? And if they said yes, then they didn't have to go through a detailed like improvement plan or anything. It was just like, yes, done, period. And if it was no, then the chair or division chief could be like, okay, here's what we need to, to help and move things along. We also collected, we found both from the pandemic and from um, George, you know, the, the all the impacts of George Floyd's murder. Faculty were really called on to do a lot more service work, a lot more community outreach, a lot more diversity, equity, inclusion work. Um, so the service lift that faculty was going through, A, because they were passionate about it and they wanted to do it, or B, we just needed it. We needed the help to, to do this work in response to our students and our staff and other faculty members. Um, we added actually data around what is it that you're doing in this space? You know, Tell us what have you done? Tell us what percent of your effort is spent doing this time, which is not anything we had ever collected before. We collected, you know, percent time research, percent time clinical, percent time administrative, percent time education. And we expanded that to percent time service, educational service, diversity, equity, inclusion service, community engagement service, so that at least we could capture what people were doing so that eventually we can move that into some credit for promotion and, and tenure. So we tried to do just in terms of the faculty fear that I am, I'm not going to be able to advance through this. We try to do a, as much as a system, as a medical school, to let them know that yeah, we understand, and we're going to give you, you know, every opportunity to to continue your advancement with as much support as we can. But you can tell us your story, and you can build that into your narrative, you know, going forward with promotion. I love the the yes no question
1: of were or any of this reduction or change in expectations or productivity due to the pandemic or George Floyd, uh, yes or no, yes, no, and then not requiring the justification of explain or describe. That's really interesting to me because we have struggled with some pushback from faculty saying, is this gonna be used against us at some point in the future? If I say, well, the, you know, I I couldn't produce the deliverables on my grant. I didn't see the patients. I, the papers weren't getting presented. I, I wasn't getting these speaking engagements. I was taking care of my children because the schools closed. So all these things that happened, some people were like, I don't know that I want to put that in a narrative and then have someone yank that out of a file later when it comes time to renew my my term or my contract. And they say, well, you seem to have all these, you know, these. You're, you're one of these faculty who has all these excuses or challenges. So that is something I never even considered just saying yes or no. Yes, it did. All right, move on. I think that is really, it's just so elegant in its simplicity that I think sometimes at the, we always try to collect data, collect data, get more information, but sometimes we don't, why is it necessary? Why are you going, why, why? What would be the purpose then? I'm trying to think, you're making me think in a different way of putting a faculty member through all that detail of all the the layers and layers and layers that maybe is covered in your psych departments, that self-assessment tools and um, for personal health. But why, why do that? Unless now I'm playing devil's advocate with myself, is three, five years from now, am I going to forget like why I didn't get that paper presented or why those experiments weren't run because people in the lab like quit? I mean, I don't know that, that that's to me is I just love that elegant solution of yes, no.
0: And that's why we we encourage the faculty to do the self-assessments just for themselves, because we had. I mean, I had the fear that people would black it out right you you forget how much this actually impacted you every single day so we encourage pe- faculty to document for themselves and we encourage them to and again same concern you know i don't want this information out there but we all know there was impact and just put it in a drawer somewhere and that way when you are ready to go for a promotion you can just reflect back on it, and think, oh yeah, and then maybe in your narrative statement for your promotion, you may you may say, you know, I went through this and look what I did now. So it's um, and it's very much up to the faculty whether they want to to do this in a way to share it with their division chief or not, their department chair or not, in their dossier or not. Um, it really is, but we did have the fear that people would forget, and so when we changed the annual review forms. Uh, we said this is what the annual review review form is going to look like for the next five years because we know that this is going to have long standing impact. We just we knew it when it started that it would be long term, so we built it in so that in five years we'll we'll say okay, do we still need this? Do we not need this? And we'll take a look at it again. Um, but yeah, I think you know it, it helped reassure people that. Yes, there's, there's, there's still a way forward through this.
1: And in addition to this whole service lift idea that, wow, what an opportunity we've always known because faculty who are in academic medicine have big hearts and they do feel a real connection to the communities that we serve and want to give. And I think a lot of our faculty want to give and serve and volunteer even more And yet they do the calculation of the cost benefit of I would be doing more in my community. I would love to be engaged and involved. And yet I'm being held to this RVU ticker that's just going, 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 going. And the grant machine and the paper machine. And oh, by the way, I have a young family at home. And oh, by the way, there's a pandemic. And there's this and all this the horror around uh, tension in the city so the fact that you in Minnesota put out this new way to calculate what percent effort, documenting the service, the community outreach, measuring it, this is something is that's can, that's going to be definitely sustainable for the for the future. I bet you that would be once you've institutionalized that and count and it's counted as real versus just like an other, it gets shoved into another category and and people know it's just more uncompensated effort. It's not going to count. Might be nice, but maybe when I'm a tenure professor, I'll do that. You know, now, no, do it now and and get credit for it now. So I think that's another brilliant way to acknowledge and value and really put your your money where your mouth is and saying, no, this is part of our mission. This is who we are. We do this, and we we know you're doing it, and we see it,
0: and we appreciate
1: it, and it counts. So good for right. you.
0: So now we're working on getting that into the you know the promotion and tenure. Um, guidelines. And that everything takes time, uh, but that's the idea. At least we'll have some baseline data and some awareness of what faculty are are doing and all their contributions in these areas. Um, And we can build the promotion guidelines uh, to really, to provide that value. Many of these things, as you said, are unpaid, but there is value in giving people credit for the work they're doing as they advance in their careers, so. well,
1: what is your what is your sense of um, the gender and equity, and you know what is the temperature in Minnesota right now uh, with faculty and and hopefulness, if you will, for for the future? I, I I kind of feel like I vacillate here in Baltimore with I get this sense that faculty are. M- really engaged Uh, our faculty senate we have junior faculty advisory council we've got a faculty affairs and development board of all leaders in the departments who have the titles of vice chair for research vice chair for faculty affairs vice chair for faculty development and thus and such and everybody seems to really be like come on we got to do something it's almost like that really there's a a lot of pent-up energy to we got to make some changes so and I'm wondering if that's just kind of like a little blip that this is as a, in a response to feeling helpless and hopeless for so long, or is this just kind of a, a cyclical thing where, or maybe I it's just my pers- perspective. I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. Are you observing
0: anything that's kind of making you go, huh? What I'm observing is exhaustion. Mm. Um, so I think we had the acute phase of the pandemic. We had, um, the acute social unrest around George Floyd. We had, um, we settled into a kind of a COVID fatigue kind of mode, you know, things were clinically, the system was under control. We did some, um, brainstorming sessions, kind of listening sessions on steroids, um, about what, you know, in that early phase, what, what do you need? Uh, flexibility, child, elder care, technical help to work at home. I need a culture that supports when, you know, how flexible I am in my meeting times and my response to email I need, and I need, you know, certain kinds of communication, but flexibility was definitely number one. And I think we kind of hung in this, in this tired, but, but, Optimistic phase, I think, for most of the uh, of 2021 going into this fall. This fall, we are again in surge mode. We have been high number of cases, clinical system at the at the very upper edge of capacity, burnout, attrition, lack of lack of um, staff. You know, we're down 20 to 30 percent um, in nursing and other, other roles that, that help support the, the infrastructure of our clinical. So right now, the temperature is exhausted. It's, it's very worrisome. And so the things that we had done to support, you know, we had pulled in extra mental health resources. We started with a battle buddy, you know, a buddy system for frontline providers. We moved into mental health consultants embedded in departments to triage and that all got better over the summer and, you know, in, you know through this year. And now we're, we're really facing a lot of challenges around faculty burnout, faculty leaving, uh, and, and just plain exhaustion.
1: How do we see our way through this? Is this just something that if it, it, the battle weariness and I'm just kind of harkening back to old war movies, is this and just picturing our courageous military men and women just sitting there tired and sweaty and dirty and exhausted and injured and just in despair. And then what happens? They, they come home and we just kind of love them up and then they go back out there. I I, I'm just trying to, uh, where do we see, what can we do or what can we hope for? What, you know, we're both optimists and What
0: can we rest assured knowing that what? I think it's a great question. I think there are things we can do. We have been working, our clinical system has been working, you know, overtime on staffing and hiring and getting people the support they need. We're, I think we're going to have to bring back more of our mental health supports. Absolutely. But it's a different, it's a different kind of support. So looking forward at 2022, I think it's going to be the year of, and again, just my personal opinion, how do, how do we just help people get through this? It's trauma. It's like chronic trauma. How do we help them get through it? How do we keep them in academic medicine as opposed to leaving? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a huge, huge effort to undertake. It's it's very parts are personal and parts are systems and when the clinical systems are stressed, um, everyone's stressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that looking forward, twenty twenty two is going to be our our how do we keep our faculty wellness at the center of all these other things that we're doing, and it's going to be really hard
1: and i can't help but just think that you know when times get like this and you're you're saying you know chronic trauma i can't help but think and this is when we have to remind our dear faculty that you know you came into academic medicine for a reason it wasn't obviously to get wealthy because you would have chosen private practice it was because you're curious you want to discover and you're you're all about knowledge and and innovating and curing and treating and diagnosing, but that curiosity um, and that scientific mind about the scientific method is what drives them. And and I'm, I can't help but thinking if we could just make that side of the work easier. You know, it's one thing to have if all this is going to be super super hard in my life. You know, if somebody throw me a bone, make something else easier to balance it out instead of everything being so hard. So if we know that you're going to go into a, to work today making widgets and that 10 to 11 hour is going to be cuckoo crazy pants, let's really make the nine to 10 o'clock hour and the one to four a lot better. So it seemed to me if we could just offload some of the other stuff that reminds people, oh, that's right. This is cool. Doing science is cool. you know making and inventing new things and discovering things that is why i did this and it you get lost in that moment and in that flow so if we can get faculty to get back there and and loving that and enjoying that i think that would be just enough you know the is it was it victor frankl man search for meaning or who did the man search for meaning was it remember that the the war prisoners of war who said it's not the mm-hmm. as long as you have a a why the how will work itself out. So if you know, like there's a why, there's a reason why I know I I'm in academic medicine. It's in my heart. It's, it's written on in my guts. I am to be here. The how is just, you know, we got to figure this out, but I know why knowing the why. And it's because I'm a, I'm a scientist that it's, I'm, I'm meant to be here. So if we could just do something to help make that easy, they can maybe tolerate the horror If you know, you've got some other reason to do it. So Mandy, how are we going to do it?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, there's good news, right? Our labs are open. Yes. Everyone's up and running. Our, um, our students are all, you know, they came out of clinical service or they're all back in our residents are you know, it's, they're obviously working really, really hard, but our residencies are all up and going. Our faculty are, um, we've opened up, I think, to collaborations. Uh, we have two campuses. We have a Twin Cities campus and a Duluth campus. And there was always this, this tension around, um, you know, we're, you know, Duluth may not be aware of everything that's going on in Twin Cities. Well now everyone's remote, right? So all those barriers have gone because now we are literally all connected Mm -hmm. and that's opened. It's opened the door for some, I think some really new and innovative collaborations Um, Our high. We were under a hiring freeze. We're now out of hiring freeze, which will help um, in terms of faculty that will help immensely. The health system are bringing in people to work. So I, I do see an end to it. I just, is how do we help our people one, manage the day-to-day that they see and the day-to-day of their work and what are the things that we can do to make their lives easier versus yes, we we are going to get out of this, you know, at some point this will be um, better controlled, but how do how do we have the faculty handle all that trauma that they've experienced over the couple of years? Right. So it's getting through day to day, and then how? How do we? I don't even know a good word for it. Optimize seems too too glossy. But how do we? How do we actually concretely help people manage everything they've been through? Yeah. Uh, and that's basic science. You know, all the way to our most prominent clinicians. Right. And every everyone's impacted. So right. Those are the those are the yeah. those are the challenges. And I'm confident that our faculty people
1: listening to this podcast right now they're going to, they're going to fix this. So like we, you know, as as we look to the younger generations and the and the mid-career faculty and the early career faculty, I I feel like they know they know what's going. If we listen to them and they're going to lead us, you know, like every every successive generation, right? They they will they're going to help shine the light there. So I think you're exactly right that it's people like us who who've been in the game for a while If we can just exude this sense of non-anxious presence, we're not going to cherry coat this and make sure, oh, it's all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. We understand and appreciate this chronic trauma that you're talking about. And we're here for you. It's one person at a time. It's one heart seeing another heart and eyes meeting eyes, a nod to another nod. We've got each other, we got to lift each other up and we're going to get through it. And you're right. There have been so many positive things that have come away, come out of this and this connectivity and the next generation, they're, they're going to, they're going to figure this out and we're going to, yeah, we have, we're, we're close. I think we are. I'm, I'm like you, I, I share a lot of hope that it's, uh, that we're going to get through it as long as we can just, I think, reminding people. You know, you were drawn to this field for a reason and it's tough and we know it. It's, this is, we'll never forget this time and
0: um, the great things will come of it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. And I am really um, thrilled, excited to see, you know, the double AMC. I think, release their number of applicants to medical school and it's up. And the applicants are a much more diverse group of applicants. And that makes me very excited uh, because there is hope. There is absolutely hope uh, for the future of academic medicine. It's tough. It's, you know, this is a very trying time. This is not something any of us planned on, but I think faculty, and I really leaned on my other faculty affairs colleagues and how are you doing this? What are you doing? How are you? Um, to really help each other and to help each other learn and share and help all of our faculty. So I really appreciate you doing this podcast. I think this is absolutely terrific.
1: Well, Dr. Tremiel, and this has been great. I, I'm happy to see you. I'm so glad I'm on zoom now because seeing familiar faces, you're right, that um, we have to always remember that this, that we're not alone. And then even times I think I said on a on prior podcast one, when life gets tough and you look at your calendar and you think, oh, I have all these things to do, all these things to do, all these meetings, all this whatnot. And then invariably every time within five minutes of, of, am I seeing a face that is familiar to me and that is smiling and, and, and hearing me and we're, we're talking It's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is right. I'm, I'm happier now. It makes me feel good and we're sharing ideas and, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing what we need to be doing. It's, it can be frustrating and I get frustrated because I feel a little bit like I'm not doing enough, but having faith and confidence that it's not all, it's not all on us either. I mean, we, we can't expect our faculty to shoulder all the burdens of everything, but, but I'll let you close off Mandy with anything you'd like to
0: end end our conversation with. I, I just want to thank you for doing this. I think the sharing, This is the part of the past couple of years Um, I personally have missed. I think many of us in faculty affairs have missed and I really thank you for doing this. Thank you.
1: Well, everybody, this was, uh, you've been uh, listening to a conversation with Dr. Amanda Termuelen at university of Minnesota. You're on the faculty factory podcast, which episodes drop every Friday now for we're starting our year four. So if you have a question That you'd like us to answer and invite a leader to talk about that um, topic, or you want to be on the podcast, or you have a friend who wants to be on the podcast, or you know somebody who should be on the podcast, just send me an email at facultyfactorykim at gmail.com. That's facultyfactorykim at gmail.com, or go to facultyfactory.org. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Thanks, Mandy. Appreciate you. Thank you.